Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. Mike has been taking the reins lately, leading these uh, autonomous ventures into into conversations with the various sports writers around the country without me. Mike, I'm back to lead this podcast because I want to get your opinion on some things. I want to talk about everything that happened in the last three days, some draft lottery, uh, the Western Conference finals, the Eastern Conference Whatever we're going to call that, I guess it's the finals, but Toronto's involved in it. Um, and and because you've been doing this, leading the podcast so much, I want to get your first thoughts. I want to start with the West. I know that you've been following this real closely. I want to wait, thank. Wait, are you saying yeah. I did a good job? I think that you've done an adequate, a limited upside job. We've talked about adequate? this before. Okay. Adequate. You're you're a, you're a good basketball mind, Mike, and you're getting you're extracting good thoughts from the uh, from the interview uh, interviewees. Um, that sounds like I'm doing a great job. I, obviously, I why need, is it just adequate? You need to have Big Papa here. You need to have the the, the host of the show because oh you're the God. brains. This is you know <laughs> oh you're the one God. getting interviewed each week, so we can <laughs> learn from Mike Prada's brain. And I want to learn a few things from you right now, Mike. What happened in the third and fourth quarters of Game Two with the Warriors' thunder that looked so different from the previous six quarters in that series? Oh man, that was fun. So you Crazy. you texted me and you were like, "Oh, this is boring," <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about? How is this boring?" Well, Can you explain I'm, yourself? Yeah, all right. So I think I think there may have been a little lost in translation uh, when you read a text and you don't really get the oh, sarcasm. Don't, in no, there. don't don't pull this. This okay. is I'm going to pull okay. it up right now. Okay. All right. So Let's I see. said I Let's said see. there was it was a little boring. Um, but no, 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 no. I'm going to get I'm going to get your exact words. I'm going to uh, eat my words in this podcast wait, now. Great. On. Now I got to go find this. Good. Well, while, while you look for that, I'll end with game two was 118-91 Warriors. Steph Curry had a third quarter that looked like a microcosm of the last two seasons. And when that kind of snowball effect gets going, it becomes an avalanche. And it did. Uh, and the Thunder were completely overwhelmed the same way that like Sacramento would in the middle of the season in February uh, against the Warriors. So my question, I guess, Mike. And wait, wait, you hold on. I, I, have, I have this open. I was hoping to get past that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, uh, I texted you at Wednesday during the third quarter. This game is awesome. I'm so glad I sat through the first two rounds for this. This is during, I would say, the first half. <laughs> of, of the first half of game two. Yeah, and then you respond like oh, maybe 20 minutes later, LOL, terrible game, bound to happen. <laughs> well, terrible game, because, bound to happen. No, I think I meant in competitiveness, not necessarily in the play. I, keep in mind, I was watching from the sales conference at a bar in Chicago. Um, I... My brain was there watching, but I may have been not taking notes as rigorously and at the same time conversing with everyone around me who wanted to get my thoughts on what was going on. And I your thoughts were that it was a terrible game. Well, I thought this unless was the you, first. Unless you said other thoughts to other people. like you. So I think this was the thoughts. first. All right, I'll tell you why I said terrible. I think this was the first game the Thunder have played in the last two, three weeks where they let their emotions get in the way of any type of game plan, any type of semblance of teamwork in the second half. It became an individual game that they are never going to win uh, against the Warriors team. And you could see that. Steph was great in the third quarter, but part of that was the flow the Warriors had going on was beautiful. It was just like this consistent motion. The Warriors looked like they were going uh, 100 miles per hour in control, and Oklahoma City looked like they were stuck in mud and out of control. Um, and when that happened, and this is where we'll get back to that question, 
What else happened in that third, fourth quarter when the game went from a, a two, three point game, close, close affair, halftime looked like we were in for another game one with Warriors Thunder into a 118-91 final that, that there really wasn't even a competitive fourth quarter. Like, what, what did you see between the lines, Mike, that, that really kind of set this up for what we don't even know what's going to happen in Game 3, but we know that coming into Game 3, the Warriors certainly have the momentum back. You know, it reminded me of that old proverb that the, has become kind of the Spurs rallying cry, like you keep pounding the rock and like it's the 1,000th mm. pound that mm. breaks it. That's what that game felt like. So in the first half, the Warriors did such a good job of just – kind of moving the ball, kind of going deep into their offensive kind of ingenuity. And the Thunder were right there a lot of the time. And, I, you know, it doesn't reflect well in the number of points the Warriors scored, but they worked their asses off to get yeah. those points. It, I tweeted at the time, it reminded me a little bit of where the Spurs, when they lost to the Thunder in 2012, when they, they had that great team, their scoring numbers that series were really good, but it just felt like they were working so hard and they had nothing left. What ended up happening was the complete opposite, I think. I think the Thunder just got tired dealing with the Warriors. And I think the end of the first half run was a big key. And then mm-hmm. that carried over, and suddenly all those rotations that the Thunder were making, they just when you get tired, your brain turns off. And, you know, Steph Curry had that great explosion, but he's wide open on a lot of those shots. I yeah, mean, he was. He certainly was. the first one, he's wide open. And then... They just they were just a little they worked a little bit harder and the Thunder got I think tired and I think that led to some lazy switches that led to yep. some being behind the play and you know all of that it, it's very it's so hard to guard the Warriors yeah it is they just make you move so much and the Thunder have this great athleticism but nevertheless I mean Adams and Ibaka are guarding the perimeter that's not something they're used to doing I mean Adams worked so hard in that game yeah he really did from the and, first like literally the first offensive or defensive series of the game I remember pretty vividly like a corner switch where he had Steph in the corner alone and and Steph always does the same thing he like puts an initial just quick hesitation dribble and then stops sort of just to kind of eye up how much the big man is going to come out and actually try to defend him. They went right by him. Um, But yeah, you're right. Adams was playing, and this is to the Warriors' credit, they can do this. They're the only team in the NBA, maybe the Cavs a little bit, we'll talk about them later, who can basically get your center to come play at the three-point line whenever they want. Yeah, and and the other thing that I think is noteworthy about what the Warriors did is so – the Thunder are switching all these plays, right, just to try to keep up with all the Warriors' movement. And that's a very sound strategy. You kind of have to. Mm-hmm. And they certainly have the size to bother them when they do. But what the Warriors do is, okay, so they spot Ibaka switched onto Curry. And I think most teams, what they would do is they would just throw the ball to Curry, clear out, and just say, okay, Steph, you got a big guy on you. Go to work. You know, Take him off the dribble. You're the guard. He's the big man. He's not supposed to be able to guard you. Right. And – I think there's a foul, I, there's a really good piece about this like four or five years ago. I forget what site it was. It basically looked at all these situations and found that, you know what, it's actually not a great shot when you just kind of go one-on-one because the big guy can back up. He mm-hmm. can take space. If you yield like an open jumper, like it's not the end of the world. And rarely do you get a court situation where you're so fast where the big guy is just totally lost. Yeah. If you want to get to the basket. So what the Warriors do instead is that they'll see the switch and then they'll swing the ball away and they'll screen Ibaka. Hmm. Or they'll screen Adams. And if you're a big guy, you're not used to kind of guarding a pin down. You of just course never not, do yeah. that. And yep. so they just nailed they just picked on poor Serge Ibaka all night doing that. They would just set this pin down and Curry would get open off the ball. Mm-hmm. It's sort of an ingenious way to deal with the switch that they have shown at times during the regular season, but just kind of brought it back out in game two. Sure, and Draymond allows 
for you to do that because he mm-hmm. can just get lost himself back at the three-point line, and then all of a sudden the center who doesn't know how to switch, and I, and I don't mean lost, I should say he just meanders back to the three-point line to the open space that's been created by the center getting lost in the switch. You, you're spot on there, man, and, it, and that makes the court, it makes these shots look wide open, which you, you hinted on with Curry. He hit some open shots. Draymond hit some open shots. I think Iguodala looked really spry. Uh, in game two as well, kind of, he's a guy who had some injuries uh, this season, and I'm not sure that he was 100% even last series, but he looks like he's getting healthier uh, by the game as well. I think people forget, or probably don't forget, but Iguodala won the NBA Finals MVP last year. He's a pretty important player. Um, Yeah, and when he plays well, they're a different team. They're a different team, exactly. I think that boost at the end of the half was key because, you know, there was a moment, probably with like three minutes left in the the first half, where you're thinking, like, the Thunder just has so much athleticism and so much... So much speed, and they're spooking the Warriors on these sort of. The Warriors are doing all this cute movement, and the Thunder is right there with them. And it, like it almost doesn't matter because the Thunder, yeah. they can get beat and recover. And it just felt like the Warriors were doing everything they could and still working so hard, not going to their first options. And then I think that Iguodal flurry at the end of the half kind of boosted them their yeah. confidence a lot. And we should talk about the other end, too, because Golden State allowed how many points in the second half? I mean, it was pretty amazing. 40? 38? Something like that? They allowed 19 third quarter points, and then most of the rest of the points were in garbage time. Garbage time, yeah. I mean, we should talk a little bit about the Warriors' defense, I think. Absolutely, because that's the entire... The reason this team is so great, they've, they're have one of the top defensive teams in the NBA. I think uh, it's funny, a guy like Bogut, um, isn't really in this series that much. Is that fair to say? This is not a series that he's going to be a big part of, but then you have the uh, your more athletic secondary guys. Like I think Livingston's played really well. Iguodala's Azili played was well. really Azili good. was too. really good. Exactly. And I think you talked about this a few podcasts ago, but we both did. But Golden State funneling into these guys like Azili and doing so in a controlled manner and, and strategically. They're not, letting, they're not getting beat on the perimeter um, uh, you know, unintentionally. Uh, un- like, this is on purpose. They are funneling towards Nazili. They're funneling into Draymond. Um, I think the other thing, too, is the fool's gold of Ibaka hitting some threes and Westbrook hitting isolation pull-up threes in the first half of that game. Also that's in game the, one as well. The, that yeah, and that's not sustainable. Run. Exactly. Like, that's... Those are 30% shots. Those are 25% shots. So hitting them that one time in the first half leads to three misses come the second half, and the Warriors know that. They're defensively not getting, I think this is to their credit and maturity and the coaching staff, but they lost game one and they didn't get flustered by why they lost game one. And they lost it because the Thunder played really well. It wasn't because necessarily that their defensive strategy was wrong. I think they implemented more or less the same strategy in Game 2 to 17 less points by the Thunder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I think I agree. Uh, There there are a couple factors here. One is that while the Thunder's shots were bad in Game 1 and they made them, the one key is that they only have one turnover. Mm. And so... It's almost like, do you remember in the finals where LeBron was just backing, 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 and they take these tough shots? Yep. That has an effect of slowing tempo, and that was, I think, a huge reason why the Thunder came back in Game 1. Mm-hmm. Just cut out all the cheap baskets you create in transition. Uh, and that's hard to do. The Thunder are not a low turnover team. It's hard to sustain no, that over. They're a very high turnover team. Yeah, right. I mean, that's they're not going to have another. I mean, everybody was talking about, like, oh, the Thunder can shoot better. I mean, that's true, but they're also not going to have one turnover and a half again. <laughs> right, like, that's right. just not what they. And that's, I think, a bigger factor. The other thing, the Thunder have a dilemma because the when Robertson is in the game, the Warriors kind of do, like, the super Tony Allen treatment, mm. right? So you remember last year they put Bogut on Tony Allen and just had him clogged the lane and that was sort of 
hailed as the key to turning that series around. I think it's yep. gotten a little too much attention, but it certainly was a factor. They're kind of doing a double with Andre Robertson, where <laughs> sometimes yeah. Bogut's guarding him, sometimes Green is guarding him. They're almost playing like a two-man zone off uh, Robertson and Steven Adams, and mm. the Thunder could not really deal with that in the second half. There was one possession I remember in particular where Durant's got the ball far from the basket, just kind of holding it. Draymond Green is standing on the strong side elbow because Roberts, he's just not guarding Robertson. And Durant is three guys in front of him. He has no idea what to do. And after a long time, he lost this really tough pass <laughs> to Robertson and gets picked off and turned into a bucket on the other end. They have a dilemma there yeah. because – and I have some. I think there are ways they can solve it, but I mean, one one of the real problems there for the Thunder is that they don't. Who are they going to play other than Robertson? You know, you can start Dion Waiters; it's fine. But you know, right. Robertson is going to have to play some. He's the Absolutely. best perimeter defender, and look at some of the other options they have. So, yeah. how do you account for that? And with him in the game, it's just so easy to load up on the star players, and that leads to turnovers and bad shots and great well, defense. But they've yeah. got to figure out a way to to kind of make Robertson more of a threat. I don't really know. I have some ideas. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about this like really early in the year that the idea of trying to beat Golden State by doing what they do is going to lead to losing. Golden State's going to do what Golden State does better than you do. Um, so part of what Oklahoma City does, it got him here and passed the Spurs. Roberson was a huge part of that. Bringing waiters off the bench was a huge part of that. Um, and so I think they feed directly into a Golden State once if they're going to already take away their best <laughs> perimeter defender, kind of bury him as a sixth, seventh man on the bench. Right. But and they also you know, have no choice. I mean, that's they don't that's have, the, as I say, they the have whole no choice. That's 22 is they don't have a choice. Especially against a team who's going to spread the perimeter, play you know pick and roll game with Draymond and two of the best shooters ever. Um, you need a Roberson out there for length, for help defense, um, you know. But you you nailed it on the head. He is a Tony Allen super light offensively, and that is saying something. Yeah. Um, and and you know when you're playing four against five offensively, that's that's going to be an issue. Um, I don't think starting waiters is the right move. I think Waiter's mentality right now is coming off the bench. I think if you were to change that, you might be opening up Pandora's box with him. You like what you're getting from him right now. I think you should sit with that. Um, although I will say, he's being minimized in this series just because what helped him so much in the Spurs series, he was more athletic. You're saying Deion Waiters or Robert? Waiters, sorry. Yeah, Waiters. Yeah, I apologize. Waiters. Yeah, um, Waiters was the more athletic guy coming off the bench in that series against, you know, even a Ginobili who's older um, or a Danny Green who's not as physical or whatever you may call it. Like, there's Waiters had opportunities to to win matchups against the Spurs, and he's getting put in much more you know disadvantageous matchups against Golden State, but also because Golden State's second unit's guards are incredible. You know, it, he's coming into matchups that are favorable for Livingston, for Iguodala, for Barbosa, you name it. Like, it's not like Waiters is coming in to be the offensive. He's got to come in to try to keep the ship a sail. And right. with Roberson out there um, in the starting unit. You, it's not just Bogut, man, but like Curry can be a little bit more playing the passing lanes, and a little he's very good at, at kind of sneaking into passing lanes in the help defense. Um, Clay has been playing, I thought, really, really good man-to-man defense, just straight up. I think he's one of the more underrated, just one-on-one defenders in, I, in the NBA. I agree, um, and he's been really good in this series uh, specifically. But I think part of the whole thing that we haven't even touched on yet is one of these teams is a historically great team who might now, because of some injuries and, and you know later in the actual regular season and then Steph's injury in the playoffs, might actually be getting healthy right now. Uh, three games in, two games, three games into the Western Conference Finals. This should be, I'm going to ask you, Mike, is this to be expected? Like, 
I don't feel well, like I mean, it, Golden State's it, a better team. Yeah, but I, but, I agree. But I mean, I want to go, go back. Ahead. Yeah, go I kind of want to think about this this Roberson issue just a little bit more. But I, yeah. I agree, the Warriors are a better team in the regular season. Right. Um, but I, you know, look, the Thunder got the split. They have if they win all their home games, they win the series. I don't think they will, but right. you know, I, I think I don't want to overreact too much to game two. I mean, the Warriors played probably their a game in they game did. two. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they're going to reach that level again. Uh, the Thunder, the the dilemma the Thunder have. I mean, Waiters is their best guy at that spot when they have. Yep. And they need he's the guy who's going to get most of the minutes regardless. I mean, he that's their yep. best lineup. I think we can both agree on that. The problem is that with Roberson, Roberson in the game, it, I, I forget exactly how he pronounce his name, so apologies for switching back and forth. <laughs> I with screwed him, it up, too. With him in the game, that's when the Warriors made the run. I think they I – I agree with you. I wouldn't start Waiters if only because that means that Roberson is now playing with, what, Aeneas Cantor. And, yeah. I mean, where, I don't quite know where you would put Roberson. Yeah, and I'll say this, though. If you want to exploit uh, Cantor's advantage on the offensive boards, send a guy like Roberson there to miss a ton of shots. Um, you know. <laughs> By the way, the, the, are you surprised? I saw this stat uh, somewhere. The Thunder are only rebounding 20% of their misses this series, which is, I mean, That's if that continues, that's a real problem for them. I, I think I, I think it's an easy. They're taking more outside shots in this series, and that's yeah, part of it. I think, um, that's, I think that's a big part of it, too. I yeah. Mean, a lot of people... Offensive rebounds, just in general, are a little random. I mean, the ball mm. just kind of caroms wherever. But totally. if you collapse the defense and you kind of are shooting a lot inside, you can sort of predict a little better where the ball runs off the rim if you're shooting yeah. long shots. I, I agree. And I when also you think the Warriors are doing a great job gang rebounding. Yeah, they are. They are. But like when you have Adams, Ibaka, and a Cantor rotating in uh, against a. I'm not going to say undersized Spurs front line, but definitely under athletic. Um, mm. you, you're dealing with, you know, you can tap the ball around, you can make the court smaller, and then you're just increasing your chances of grabbing the ball in a smaller space. But I think one of the things that is definitely apparent in this series is Golden State's going to keep more or less uh, a, a plus rebounder underneath, or at least someone to hold Adams in Bogut's case. And when Azili comes in, he's, you know, he's really athletic. And, and yeah. I had no idea, to be honest, prior to this season. I, and that's, I mean, not that I had no idea. I should say I didn't think Azili was this important, and now he he certainly is. I mean, he's a he's a key part of this team. He'll be even more important if we get to the NBA Finals, and he's going to have to be in there against Cleveland, where his athleticism will be even more. You know, yeah, it'll be important. interesting to see yeah. that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I wonder if he'll be less important because the Cavs spread the floor. Let's, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a little in a little, yeah, in a yeah. little bit. Um, okay. Real quick with, though, uh, with Robertson, I, yeah. So you, you, we agree that they ha- he has to stay started. So how do you mm. avoid the problem that result in Game 2? Yeah. I think one way is, so they would do this, they did this a couple times in Game 2, and I think you're going to see this again, is that they would try to use him as a ball screener and with the idea that, okay, the help defender's not really there. So if we kind of sneak him in there and catch him, there's it'll be like a clean screen and nobody will be there. It's almost like, do you know like when, when uh, teams will set – have a guard set like a screen on the screener and sort of give the screener a head start. Yeah. So they help. It's almost like they create that advantage. So if I'm Oklahoma City, what I want to do more of is swing the ball to one side, quickly string it back to Durant or Westbrook, and then have Robertson kind of running in the screen and try to catch the Warriors scrambling that way. I think that's sure. one way they can do something there. Uh, 
I, I think I would I would look to see that a little bit more. You saw that a little bit in game two. It, it, I think you're going to see more of that in game three. But sure. if you're Oklahoma City, what else do you need to do to win well, games three and four? Well, as I say, what, what about Roberson Moore? Uh, one of the things that Clay does so well, he's the best or second best shooter in the NBA, but he's one of the best cutters as well. You don't have to be a great shooter to be a great ball movement player off the ball. And Roberson, because the way they use him with standing around in a specific spot, there are cuts to be made to open up the floor for Durant and for Westbrook. There are back doors and baseline movements that he could be doing to be more active. And that, that falls on Donovan, um, on how yeah. you move him around to open up space. Part of this is opening up space for the guys who can use it, even without the ball. Yeah, I mean, the, t- the, pro- the tough thing there, I agree, he's got to be a little more active cutting, mm. uh, and that will help. But the problem is that when when players cut, the way they open up the floor is by o- kind of occupying the attention of mm. the players that if are That's supposed true. to be guarding him. And if the Warriors make this decision where they say, we really do not care whatever <laughs> he does, yeah. then it's, it's almost like you're running into the void. There's no yeah, right. attention. So I agree. I, I would. That's why I kind of like this idea of the screening uh, because yeah. that now he's directly involved and you take advantage of the fact that there's nobody on him. Mm-hmm. And you just take the help defend. There's no help defender there if you time it right. I mean, that's that's one adjustment. I mean, what else do you think the Thunder can do? I mean, one of the things that they need to solve is that Russell Westbrook has been really poor every time they play the Warriors. He's had. I yeah. saw a stat that I don't think he's had one game where he shot above forty percent from the field. Yeah, and even we, in we, game one, we hit on this man because the Warriors want him. He is the catalyst for both teams in this series. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the pace that he puts forward for Oklahoma City is essential for them. The aggression, the attitude, it also leads directly into what Golden State wants to do. So it is the ultimate basketball catch-22 because he is so important to the Thunder's ethos and he leads directly into what Golden State's offense wants to be. And to be honest, he makes defense easier a lot of times for Golden State too. He comes down, he'll back into a player and shoot a fadeaway. He'll come Mm -hmm. down, he'll pull up at the three-point line. Those six-second defensive possessions make Golden State salivate. um, Because it also leads... Yes, which, well, he which, he, which he's been doing like 65% of the time. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you're right, man. That The Westbrook dilemma is big, but I, I want to go back to the tried and true point. I know who's going to shoot better uh, in Oklahoma, and that's everyone on Oklahoma City because they are such a, a, a emotional, collegiate, uh, at not just the fan base, but the way the players play. I guarantee Roberson shoots better. Uh, on the 22nd or whenever the, fir- the next game is when they play. It is the 22nd, um, yep. There you go. A little break between the games now. And I guarantee that Westbrook has a smarter game in Game 3. I, I feel like he'll have like 17 assists in Game 3. I don't yeah, know how many points tur- he'll have. Fewer turnovers, I think, yes. is the big key. Totally. Um, but, you know, man, I, you, you nailed it, though. Like, we can't over-emphasize um, or we can't get too emotional in how we look at these. They got the split. Oklahoma City won Game 1 in Golden mm-hmm. State. They had like the, thir- it's the third home loss for Golden State this year. Uh, so it, they did already accomplish something. They aren't supposed to win the the utmost must-win game that Golden State just had. That was, had to win the game at home, you know, 70-whatever win team. You, you are going to win that game. So I don't, you're right, maybe we shouldn't be overreacting and maybe we should just call it like it is and say they got the split they wanted. I agree. They're still in a, in a good position. Yeah. And now the ball is in their court to make some adjustments and hold that game three in Oklahoma. Yeah, the last point I want to make on this series mm-hmm. is this feels like an energy series. Is It's mm. all about 
it's a cliche, but it's all about uh, who can wear the other team out fastest. You mm. know, it's a battle between Golden State's whiplash movement and the Thunder's athleticism, right? Yep. Yep. I mean, that's ultimately what it's about. And whichever team can sort of keep the, because I think there's a there's a tie, and we'll talk a little bit with the East playoffs about kind of this mental this mental hmm. side of the game that we don't really – it's hard to measure, but it's incredibly important. Yes. There's a connection between physical fatigue and mental fatigue. That's what costs the Thunder game two in that second quarter. But if the Thunder can kind of keep that rapid athleticism as a factor while also kind of being – having enough mental energy to carry out the assignments, right. I mean, you still have the problem of how athletic they are compared to how the Warriors are – what the Warriors are used to. I mean, in game one – the Warriors were sloppy because they were not used to the Thunder's speed and athleticism. Yeah, and yep. if the th- whichever team loses mental energy first, I think Game One the Warriors lost mental energy and committed some poor turnovers. In Game Two, the Thunder lost their mental energy, and that's why <laughs> they were not able to guard Steph Curry in the third quarter. Yes, so the difference which- is the difference is when Oklahoma City loses their mental fortitude or mental energy, um, they're done. They have no chance of winning, and when Golden State does, they they can still win. I mean, Maybe <laughs> I mean we'll see. I, I'm very curious because Oklahoma City. You talk about home court advantage. That's yep. going to give them a boost. Oh, big time! Energy big time. wise, I mean, yep. I think that's going to be the key to the series. That's that will determine oh, yeah. who wins the series. Which team? And I worry about Oklahoma City in this one regard is that they're only playing seven guys, really, maybe eight yep. with Randy Foy, and. It's very over the lifetime of a seven game series. It's nice that they have a break now, but yeah. you're asking a lot from those seven guys. The Warriors, you know, while I think they're top heavy and they probably play too many players, they are playing a lot more players. Yeah, and they also have more diverse players too. So mm-hmm. it's you know it's not like Steph is bringing the ball up every single play like Westbrook is. It's you know Iguodala will run it and Livingston will run it right. and Clay can bring it up and Draymond will bring it up so it's there is more diversity to what they do there are ways to get little breaks within the game that just don't exist for Durant and Westbrook it, yeah. it's just it's just not there for and them and more importantly for Adams and Ibaka yes absolutely and and I remind me to make sure that we definitely talk about the theoretical um Golden State versus Cleveland matchup because I do want to talk about one of the smoke and mirror components of Cleveland. But first, I want to say, (laughs) real quick, if you want to check out any more between the next couple days and read about um, everything in this in this Thunder Warriors series, go to uh, Welcome to Loud City and Golden State of Mind. They are are the SB Nation uh, Thunder and Golden State Warriors uh, sites respectively, and there's tons of great coverage on there. Um, Let's go to Cleveland. Let's go to Cleveland, Toronto, because um, I guess there's. Uh, is there anything to talk about, Mike? Are we done? Did I, I just introduce it and then we don't? Is there anything to talk about? The because only thing, the only thing I want to talk about is with Toronto was this interesting thing that happened in Game Two, where Kyle Lowry, frustrated by his inability to make a shot, <laughs> sort of checks himself. I don't think he checked himself out of the game. Sometimes he leads? so sometimes Toronto will like end halves without Lowry, which I've never understood. Right. But so he kicks himself. He's out at like the four minute mark and. He goes back in the locker room and is like blows off steam, and he admitted Yoke. this. And in that stretch, the game went from a tight game into a double-digit game. Yep. And all right, on the one hand, I, so I sympathize with Lowry in this respect. Like the brain plays tricks on you sometimes. You know, there's sure this is something we don't understand and we don't really account for because we don't understand. But you know, the men, 
someone's mental state. I mean, this is sort of being looked at as a flaw of Lowry's that like he let the moment bother him. I just I'm a little uncomfortable with that level of analysis just because yeah. you know the the brain does strange things to your to you. Like it's not something you can just control a lot of the time. Oh, you know? for sure. And, and it's something we don't understand. And I, so to some degree, I feel bad for him. But on the other hand, I mean, that, that was the game right there. And he's Absolutely. their best player. And he's out blowing off steam. I mean, I, I'm, I don't see that very often. And it wasn't like, okay, he was shooting poorly. But the nice thing about Lowry is that he still helps his team. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, would, that would not happen with nope. another, you know, with another And we talked player. about this just before the pod, man, but like, there isn't a single player who is more of the measuring stick for his team and left in the playoffs. And that, I think, should say a lot, given, given the amount of superstar talent that's left. But when Lowry's been bad, Toronto hasn't been competitive in a game against Indiana, in any games against Miami, or any games uh, against Cleveland thus far. And when he's good, they, they can win. He, I mean, it's, it's almost as simple as Toronto is a bad team compared to the other playoff teams left. I mean, obviously they are. They, probably, are. they probably are even with Lowry we, playing well. We the but, other. <laughs> right. The, as the weird, with three kind of iconic teams, yeah. or at least um, for today's game, iconic teams. And um, and then Toronto is sort of this, like, you know, the redheaded stepchild, if you will. Um, it's, it's so important that Lowry plays with confidence, especially in the matchup with Kyrie, who is gaining confidence by the minute. Mm-hmm. It, you can kind of just see the scales tipping, like, very much right in front of your face. Um, I, I was so blown away that he left the court last night too, man, because he wasn't like dehydrated, I don't think, or any of that. No, it wasn't he, like he, he was cramping. He, he admitted, yeah, he admitted. Literally, it was just blow off steam. Blow off steam. Which, and so I see that, and I think if you're if you're a Toronto, my le- <laughs> my leader of the team, and he is the leader of the team. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, isn't emotionally there enough to be to be strong on the bench with us? And in, in, in what was a close game, but I agree also with what you said about. It blows my mind that he's not playing the last couple minutes of, of the first half. They're like the most important. You got to consolidate right. the half. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why they've done that all year. Yeah. Uh, do you? All right. So Go ahead. I, I'm just a little, I'm just a little uncomfortable with like just bashing Lowry for this. Like mm. clearly, that was the reason. That was a big problem for Toronto, and that was where the game went awry. And clearly, you should expect. Uh, your leader to be there when that happens, and if he's going off and just kind of blowing whatever he needed to do, like that is clearly a cause and a, a problem in terms of how they won the game. I just, it's gonna, I, you're gonna see a lot of people just kind of talk about that Lowry lacks something, mm. and I'm just like, I just think that mentally, it's really, hard, I feel a little uncomfortable, kind of judging Lowry for the state of his mental being. Does that make any sense? It, you know, it, it absolutely does. And and I think part of it's understandable. Lowry like, I feel himself, bad for him. Yeah, he's in a really hard situation right now. He's playing a superior team who's playing really well. His team hasn't even really played that well. That's the whole thing. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's not like, let's build on that great series we just played against Miami because they didn't play a great series against Miami. No. Or build, let's build on that awesome, convincing win against Indiana in the first round. Like, none I mean, of they, that is they've, there. They've accomplished, for them, this is, yes. the, this is a pretty amazing accomplishment. Agreed, agreed. But I think when you... Agreed in the grand scheme of things, but in the micro, like, how are they playing game-to-game, series-to-series? Like, oh, yeah. They were playing better at some point in February than they are right now, and think, you never want to say that. Yeah, I mean, what, they have... Don't 
they're almost they have a 500 record yeah. in the playoffs, right? That's right. That's right. And and I think we just spent like five minutes talking about Toronto without mentioning the, the, one of the reasons they're playing well, like what, this. What, sorry, know? one last point on the yeah. mental thing. So did you see this interview with uh, Jackie McMullen and Dwight Howard? I have not. So he had an. He said a lot about you know what went wrong in Houston. He talked about how he went to Maury and Maury told him to be a role player, and he didn't like mm. that. There's a lot of that, but there was one interesting passage I thought was he was asked why haven't you expanded your game from being in the paint and all of that, and mm. his answer was that you know he practices jumpers, but when the game happens, he's very scared to shoot them and be and kind of be ridiculed when he misses and hmm. kind of criticized for why well, aren't you in the pain and all that and i a lot of people are going to criticize him for that i thought it was very uh, i, I appreciate his honesty and i yeah. think it says a lot about you know he said he's seeing a sports psychologist for this it says i think i would feel some empathy for him because you can't it's not like you can like tell your brain like no don't feel embarrassed like right. there's so much subconscious that goes on and you know, it affects his value as a player, but it's also like, like, why should he be criticized for admitting that? I mean, what we should have. I, I more think he nat- should be lauded for that. That's a I, great thing to be honest about his mental I position. Um, I think. And we I think collectively yeah, need a little bit more empathy for just the way the brain works. Like it would yeah. be nice if we would kind of, it would be kind of looked at as sort of like just like a skill that is really hard to improve. Well, I'll tell you what, man. College kids get enough ridicule. I mean. I don't know who the Sixers are going to take with the first pick, but I know that there is enough fodder out there about Ben Simmons' mental aptitude and his his the way he handles himself mentally during games, his emotional state. It's like I don't know when I was when I was 18 years old, I was probably emotionally not sound enough to be given a uh, hundred million dollars or be the focal point of an NBA franchise. But like you grow into that, you mature into whatever career you're supposed to be in. So I think that like the mental po- component of Dwight is, is understandable. He came into the NBA as a franchise player at 18. He never got to grow in a, an organic, you know, emotional way where he can like have his, his, uh, flaws or his, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this, but like the the low life compo- or the lows in your life were very public. Yeah. The way he handled some things was wrong, but ultimately, what what I like about Dwight is he is an immature young guy. Still, he probably has the EQ, the emotional quotient of an 18 year old. Still, well, you know, I mean, maybe uh, but I, I, he, I. But I think part of that though is a self realization, and I have not right. listened to this interview with Jackie McMullen, but I love that he's saying it. I think it takes a lot of weight off of him probably mentally knowing that he has it out there now. Like, this right. is how I feel. I am trying to cope with it. You know, I, I'm a nice guy in a league yeah. where you want me to be a mean guy, but I'm not. Um, yeah. You know, and Lowry is a mean guy. Lowry's got bulldog in him. Like he, oh, yeah. I, think, I think he's mad at himself for not playing better, and he's letting that affect him. And yeah, that's just, bad. Yeah, I mean, just to tie this back, I think yeah. it's difficult because these are shortcomings for these players. I mean, yes. If Dwight was not as scared of embarrassment, he would be a better player. Sure. If Kyle Lowry wasn't so frustrated that he walked off, that he'd need to blow <laughs> off steam, maybe the Raptors don't lose control of that game. And so, yeah. from a very results oriented way, it's reasonable to say that those things really cost their teams. At the same time, it just feels a little uncomfortable to say, like, this is, this is a reason why they are. Frauds. I know it's there's this weird sort of dichotomy. There's this weird, 
Like, I just feel a little uncomfortable, like, kind of calling out a shortcoming of the brain yeah. for someone. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, it's no, just I, absolutely, a little. Absolutely. I don't want to. It's, it's, it's a little weird to call to consider that, you know, a character flaw. Sure. But it is a flaw performance wise. And it, we could go a long way on this, but I just, I just wanted to get that Lowry stuff off my chest. Now let's yeah. talk about the Cavs. Sure. Okay, cool. And, and we could talk about the mental components of sports for, for days and maybe someday we'll have a actual sports psychologist on this podcast. So you and I can stop pretending to be, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we should talk about the Cavs because we, one of the biggest things about this series is they are playing the game the way they want to. Um, they are not being moved around by Toronto and they're getting to be very comfortable. And I think the comfort starts with when LeBron can work from the inside out, Cleveland just is almost an unstoppable machine. And the shot chart this series, I believe he is, LeBron is 15 of 20 with seven dunks um, for the series. And most of those shots, I want to say three or four total shots are outside of a foot and a half from the basket. It's literally that type of proximity to the rim. When they can work through LeBron inside out, Mike, are they then this team we thought they'd be and we should expect them to to roll into the finals and maybe win? They yeah. look really scary right now. And, you know, the average shot distance for LeBron in this series is like 1.6 feet, <laughs> which I think is amazing. What a, It almost feels like they sort of realize what Miami did with mm-hmm. LeBron is that if you surround him with shooting and you tell him that he's got to play inside, whether that's posting up and drawing defenders, whether that's on the screen and roll where he's the roller. I mean, you talk mm-hmm. about an unstoppable unit. I mean, oh, shooting around – LeBron at the four and Channing Fry kind of looping around the backside at the five. I mean, that is unguardable. Yep. Yeah, no, it There's is. nothing you can do. And so it takes LeBron some time to uh, go to that. I think it's interesting that he has now. I mean, when you combine all that and you combine that Kyrie Irving goes on those, like, eight-point flurries that there's nothing you can do about, which mm-hmm. I think was a huge key <laughs> Last night, you combine with the way Kevin Love is playing, where he's getting some touches inside, he's feeling involved, he's playing off LeBron, and he's also playing, I would say, pretty good defense right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, yes, and the way they just kind of pop and move the ball now is just beautiful. Now, oh, yes, it's, we'll it's see the... if that holds up against the West in the West, but I just, I what I love is like, so you see these plays where if it stops for a second. Amon Shumpert or Richard Jefferson will just kind of make a move. Mm-hmm. It will be a quick move, and it just kind of keeps the pop going. And I've, I haven't seen that from Cleveland yet. I think some of that is sort of some lineup changes they made, and some of that is that LeBron has been challenged and has been has responded, and some of that is LeBron just pacing himself without anyone telling him to pace himself. Right, right. And I, I think – I love that Miami point you made because this Cleveland team is much more in the mold of the successful Miami teams, not just with the shooters, but more capable veterans like a Channing Fry or a Jefferson, kind of like your Mike Millers and your what James Jones was when he was in Miami, not and, James Jones who's in Cleveland. And Shane um, Battier. Yes, Channing Fry was a yes. huge addition. I mean, that was yes, a he's great the, He's the Battier, that's right. You know, that, um, that was a tremendous move by the Cavs, Dan, by David Griffin by Dan Gilbert to be willing to pay his salary. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been tremendous. And everybody just seems to be in a, a great harmony. I, they, they just – I don't know how you guard them. I mean, they yeah. just – they pick they make you pick your poison with shooting and with quick ball movement and with LeBron just as this unstoppable threat going to the basket. Yeah, I, I yeah. And I want, I, do. But I want to – I want to – like, this is pretty face value, this series. Like, right. I'm not sure there is an answer for Toronto – 
Cleveland is definitely and definitively a better team. They they may lose a game in Toronto, but I doubt it. Um, I know previous to this series, Mike, you um, you had said you thought this kind of your your off the uh, ah, was it uh, outside the box prediction was this was going to be a a tight series or tighter mm. series than people thought. Do you do you still think that? Well, I did say that that was contingent on everybody being healthy, mm-hmm. and Valanciunas is not. True. Uh, I do not think it will it will play out that way. Uh, certainly, and I again, I think it comes down to I thought Lowry would be better, and he has yeah. not been. What's instead happening is that Kyrie is kind of toasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that that is that is sort of you know what has caused the series to be non competitive. Agreed. Uh, agreed. But among other things, so. All right, then that leads me to this question that I really want to get this answer from you, Mike. I guess we just talked about how Lowry and Love have been so good and playing so well. The reason why, uh, or one of the things that has come up when they play against the Warriors is they get minimized big time by the offensive flow of the Warriors, the matchup situations the Warriors put Love in defensively, put Kyrie in defensively, the amount of work Kyrie has to put in on the defensive end that then leads to a more lackluster offensive game. Is this something where... Cleveland has turned an actual page, or are we just looking at matchups that are really, really good for them? And then when they have to play potentially Golden State, Oklahoma City is a little bit different, but a Golden State team, let's say, in the finals, just to for matchup's sake, are we going to then see a different Cleveland team that's going to have to adjust to the Warriors, or have they actually changed that or turned that page and they are a team now who can, who can dictate what the Warriors are going to do? That's a really good question. I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I think defensively there are still some questions with Cleveland. You know, They have not played any good offenses uh, in their run. Atlanta was a very bad offensive team this year. Toronto mm-hmm. is not a fluid offensive team right now. Uh, Detroit was an offensively challenged team. You look at they have not really been tested in that regard, and they're going to be tested no matter who they play mm-hmm. in the finals. So, like, where do you put Kyrie against the Warriors? Where do you put Kyrie against the I guess the Thunder? You can hide him on Robertson, uh, but that's a big problem. I don't think uh, I think the biggest thing that separates. Uh, uh, Cleveland and and the Warriors is that what the Warriors do is a system that where they are perpetually or they are used to having if one guy on their um, the compensatory players the bench players the Iguodala the Livingston whatever isn't effective that day they have another guy to step up I think Cleveland's ability to succeed is much more dependent on those big three being really good right now because it feeds into J.R. Smith being open to Channing Frye getting open looks. Um, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to do that against the Warriors. I think the Warriors will make Kevin Love feel uncomfortable defensively, and that'll make him in turn less confident offensively. I think that when I think Love and Kyrie are still guys who get affected by one half of the court, uh, and let or I should say, um, and let that affect them on the other side of the court. I agree. I do think that if you're Golden State, unless your switching is going to be really on point, mm. I think they will be hard to guard Cleveland. You know, mm-hmm. last year they could really load up to LeBron, and there was no way you had to worry about anyone else beating you. That's true. That's not going to be the case this year. And you know, maybe they play, maybe they play someone like Fry or Love off the court. On the other end, I mean, that's that's possible. But I think there's ways to manipulate the matchups so that you can go against someone that's not as much of an offensive threat. Mm-hmm. Now, the Warriors may just decide, okay, we don't have to worry about the pounding with anyone but LeBron, so we can play small all the time and we can kind of run them off the floor. That might happen. Um, and we shouldn't discount the possibility that Oklahoma City yeah. will be the team, of course. Yeah. I think 
if that's the case, Cleveland has kind of owned them in the regular season. They played very well, even when they were not in good form. And yeah. I think they would be the favorites in that series. Do you think they'll be the favorites regardless? Uh, no. Say they sweep, they sweep in. They haven't lost a playoff game yet, and they are healthy as hell. They match up with – they get Golden State. Are they a favorite against Golden State? I would say no. Okay. I, I still don't think so because you know Golden State defends very differently than these teams that they've run into. I mean, certainly that they, they, they uh, their ability to space and pass and move. I mean, Golden State if they're on their day can kind of negate a lot of that with switching with cross matching. I mean, just if you think about the matchups, right? Let's say you put Clay on Kyrie, you can hide uh, Steph on someone like Jr. or Shumpert, mm-hmm. right? You can have throw your waves at LeBron. I mean, the one thing that might happen, though, is that LeBron might just be too strong for Iguodala this time around. Well, uh, he was really – I mean, we kind of forget. LeBron was really good in the finals last year for three or four of the games. I mean, yeah, it wasn't like he had a bad series. Um, he probably he could have been no the MVP. Help. He had no help at all. Mozgov was playing 35 minutes a game. Um, and that's a totally different team. It's They're both different teams. The Warriors are a different team this year. Similar personnel as, as last year, if not the same, really. But they're a different team. Um, I think there is a, um, I think there is a smoke and mirrors component to the Eastern Conference with Cleveland, but I also think that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think they're a team who needed to have their confidence created through a playoff run like this, where they kind of go undefeated. They prove to themselves that when we play well, we are unbeatable. But the smoke and mirror component is it's the East, and in the East, you're really playing against second tier competition. I mean, I said this a podcast or two ago, but I think Portland would be in the Eastern Conference Finals right now, and they're not that good. I mean, Portland's a, a good team. It will in a few years from now will be a much better team, but I think they're just as good, if not better, than Toronto right now. Um, so with that in mind, it's, it's, it's like the smoke and mirror component of, of getting this far into the playoffs without losing has built this great confidence. So I'm not sure if it's the chicken or the egg here, but I do think it's working for Cleveland. I think that the... I think that inside, and I, I'm not in their locker room, but I think the Tyron Lue thing has completely fastened. They are a cohesive unit. I think that what Lue did in a lot of ways was, I think he went into, an, I don't know if this is right at all, actually. This is kind of how I perceive the situation. Well, the, there's reporting on what Lue has done. He's just, yeah. this idea that he's held these guys accountable. I, yes. You know, well, he kind of just said he would tell them what he felt. He didn't kind of play favorites that's sort of the narrative that's come out whereas david blatt was sort of afraid to challenge some of these guys totally at the same time i don't know if like anyone really gave david blatt enough of a shot yeah i i don't want to talk about blatt's like lack of opportunity here because i do think that he was you know uh, unfairly uh, released or if you will but i think with lou he has this uh the guy walks into prison and punches the biggest guy in the face thing going on which is like he he walked into the head coaching spot and told lebron i'm my goal is to make sure that kevin love gets comfortable with this team my goal is to make sure that Kyrie irving takes the next step as a player and then you because you're so freaking good already you need to make sure that happens too this is partially your responsibility but also knowing that because the focal point here is going to be to make sure these guys get lifted so that they're on the same level as you so that eventually as a team we can take that next step i think that's what lou has done i i think I agree, although I would characterize it more as, like, Le- LeBron is this intimidating character that really was always open mm. to someone challenging yes. him, but nobody ever did. That's like, right. He was kind of – he was just waiting for someone to uh, to do that, and I think the other players need to see it. I, I don't want to paint it as a matter of, like, LeBron was just kind of unwilling. Yeah. I think just 
sometimes you have to demand a lot of your best of your most talented person. They want to be yeah. coached as much as you know and that's... With, as you want to coach them. It's just that it casts a shadow. The one the one thing that I think is a, very different that could be a great element in a final series, whoever Cleveland plays, is this idea of LeBron at the basket. LeBron mm-hmm. as the screen as a roller in a screen, LeBron not really handling the ball at the top of the key the same way. Yeah. That's potentially very powerful. LeBron can overwhelm Iguodala this year if he's with more space. That mm-hmm. if if Golden State would have to play green on LeBron, I think that affects the rest of their defense. That I think is Cleveland's best shot. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting these matchups to play out in real life. I like we met before tremendous final four sorry toronto uh assuming that cleveland gets either one of these matchups in the finals you've mm-hmm. got storylines for days incredible matchups legacies potential partnerships being broken up historical teams being made cleveland maybe getting a first title we could go on for days and days with the narratives that are going to be in place but they're all awesome the level of play should be through the roof just given the amount of incredible world talent um on the floor i mean top flight guys in their prime who might be generational players everything you want is going to be in these series. With that being said, Mike, I want to transition super quickly at the end of this podcast and give you a congratulations because many podcasts ago when Swansea and Southampton are Ah, uh, yes, we're talking soccer about soccer teams. now. You guys can all tune out if you're yeah. tired of the basketball talk. Real quick, by the way, congratulations on the Sixers. Oh, thank the lottery. you. Thank you. I yes. think you, you played a major role in the karma yes. there. Thank you. Thank you. Even, I guess before we even get into the Southampton uh, making Europa, congratulations on that, Mike, is that uh, my Sixers finally did it. They, they, um, you, you had a great podcast the other day where you had a, a Lakers guy and a Sixers guy from, from our respective sites come on, and, uh, and I thought it was interesting, uh, the, the range of emotions there. I guess they're both happy. It's the end of net result. It worked but, out well for uh, both a six- of them. It worked out well for both of them, right? And it worked out well for the Sixers, to be honest, because I feel like they're going to qualify the Lakers' pick next year. And with Saric coming over and Embiid probably playing this year, you don't, you didn't need another top five pick this year. There's only so many spots on the court. Um, you can only have so many 22 year olds on your basketball team. Yeah. I mean, um, that's but, true. I mean, but uh, I was happy, man. I, I was at a bar in Chicago with my for a sales conference with Vox, and it's next to a cell. Celtics fan, so it felt great to beat them in something, even though it's just the rights to pick a 19-year-old. It's actually nothing real and concrete. Wait, but can, I you, started, uh, can you unleash yeah. your Celtics rant that you told me? Oh, yeah. Okay, I want right, to hear this. Okay, fine. So, uh, I'll let's preface get, this Let's with, get radio, radio Ben on here. Oh, God, I know. Sports Talk Philadelphia Radio Ben? Okay. It's Ben Epstein from WIP. What is it? Yeah, 90, I love it. WIP? Uh, it's 94.1 now. 94.1? Yeah, yeah. When they moved over to the FM dial. We could also be the Fanatic. Uh, that's 97.5. Right. The These Fire are, with Ben Epstein. Yeah, right? Let's okay, here, here's my thought on that. Um, if you're a Celtics fan and you're upset you didn't get a top two pick this year, you need to shut the hell up because oh, yeah. because because you have the right. You're probably going to get a top three pick for the next two seasons. You already have a good team. You already have a great coach. You already have a great GM. The most cap space. The third pick this year. The flexibility to trade that pick and some one of your six other first round picks this year. It's it's not like the sky was going to fall on your franchise if you didn't qualify into the top two, which it would have for the Lakers and Sixers. It was way more important the Sixers got the first pick or the second pick and the Lakers got the first or second than the Celtics. It's just like this ultimate like greediness that the Celtics assume that all good things will come to them. But they have to remember this. 
And it isn't through the lottery. It's through stupid franchises and bad GMs like in Minnesota who are willing to take Al Jefferson for in his prime Kevin Garnett. That's how the Celtics get good, by tricking dumb teams, not by winning the lottery. Everyone knows that. So when you, when you factor in, and I think I'm going to make a lot of people angry with Do this. Do it. Let's go. Do but it. When you, but when you factor in the situation right now, the Celtics fans who are upset about this and, and everyone complained, oh, Danny Ainge, what is he going to do now? Danny Ainge is super happy with the third pick. It gives him more reason to trade for a superstar and trade the pick, which is what I think he wanted to do anyhow. So you're going to still have a 45 to 50 win team that you're inheriting from the year before, a coach who's clearly one of the best in the NBA, and all the flexibility in the world to make this team in the shape that you want that isn't going to be necessarily focused upon a top Ingram or Simmons guy that you need to build around. They're going to be able to instead make what they have right now even better by not building around a singular 18-year-old. I think they're in a better place now than they were, and they just don't see it yet. Yeah, get them. The spoiled Celtics fans. Spoiled Celtics fans. Yeah, oh, I, never, I haven't won a title in like seven years. Oh, oh boo-hoo. No. Boo-hoo. But, um, Nobody respects the Celtics. Yeah. Nobody believes in the Celtics. Go yeah, get right? It's What is this? Where did this Napoleon complex come from, from the winningest, second winningest franchise in NBA history? Like, it's, Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Mike, get you em. and I are fans of fan bases that get nothing. Come on, man. Oh, come on. The Sixers have won some things before. Yeah, they, in like 1983, they won their last title. I was okay. negative three years old. Okay, man. <laughs> uh, All right. But, you, you okay. get and, and And rant. Back to your Southampton team. Congratulations, Mike. Yeah, they made so, Europa. They had a great year. So some background for folks who uh, are just starting to listen. Uh, we... Ben was the guy who got me into soccer. I just needed another outlet, and I didn't want to root for any of the big teams. You know, Ben is a Swansea City fan. They are where they finish eleventh this year. Yeah, yeah, mid table. Um, they have the former team of Brendan Rodgers and some other mm-hmm. great managers. So I uh, I needed another sport, and I watched the Premier League last year for about half a season. I didn't want to be any of the big four club fans. I wanted to kind of pick an up-and-coming team, and that was when Southampton were top four in the league. And so mm-hmm. I gravitated to them, and they had a bad second half. But this year, this year, we lose our best, some of our best players, who, by the way, our midfielder was Morgan Schneiderlin, so happy to go to United where he doesn't play and doesn't make Champions League. You want to come back? We don't want you anymore. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Schneiderlin. He's, yeah. Is he French? He is French. Yes. He is. So yes. yeah, so grass isn't yep. always greener on the other side, huh? It's funny, right? But then what United finished right in Europa with you guys, right? Isn't That's that right. correct? <laughs> and, and Schneiderlin didn't play all year. He got That's benched. right. Well, it's so. similar with you know, Boney left Swansea and hasn't really played more than a few minutes a game with City. Sometimes when you go to these big clubs to qualify your money making potential, you don't necessarily get to qualify your athletic potential. And that's, that's definitely right. what happens when a team when a, a guy like Schneiderling goes from a, a beautiful young small market like uh, the Saints in Southampton that's and then right. goes and sits with Manchester United's billion dollar team. Yeah, that's uh, right. We are we are the ones with souls and they are not. That's right. So uh, so Mike I, has I fear European that it is going I fear it is going to be this might be the high water mark when you look at the <laughs> managers coming into the Premier League next year. Yeah. Uh, you've got Klopp at Liverpool, uh, you have Guardiola at City, you've got Conte at Chelsea. Maybe you have Mourinho at Man United. I hope so. Uh, I think they will struggle. You still've got Leicester still yeah. there. Still and so and that's Spurs, you still have Leicester Arsenal. Comment. Yeah, quick Leicester comment. Also by the way, Venga could get fired, who knows? Arsenal could have a new manager too. But uh quick Leicester comment. If you're a Saints fan or a Swansea fan, um 
you got to love the fact that Leicester won. It makes you feel like you're not just in this to be a mid-table team. And then secondly, if you're Leicester, you're looking at these other teams like, who on Southampton could we get to come play for us? Who on Swansea? And I know that one of the major targets uh, this offseason for Leicester is to pair uh, Gilfie Sigerson, my favorite player on Swansea, the Icelandic international, who's about to have a great Euro Cup, I'm sure, and his price tag will go up. But they want to pair him with Conte in the middle, and that would be one of the best midfield pairings in the league. So oh, that would be so unfair. Yeah, Don't I let know. that happen. It's but, one thing if like if if the big clubs are stealing our players, but it's another if it's freaking Leicester. Yeah, freaking Leicester, <laughs> King's Power. Uh, you know why they call it King's Power Stadium? Why do they call it King Power Stadium? I believe that it's uh, it's Richard the Fourth or or one of the one of the kings is buried uh, right under the ground and in, in really? not underneath the stadium, but right in that 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 Leicester area there. So the and King soccer Power is, yeah. soccer is so weird. Yeah. Why are we covering basketball? Soccer I don't even is know. like so much fun. It is so like, much fun. It's so stupid how this sport works. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I also love the fact that when you dial it down, the names of the teams are just based upon the worker union that was playing for that team in like 1890. It's like <laughs> you got West Ham, they're the hammers because they were like, you know, the, the, the mechanical engineering folks who were building stuff. And you got the gunners because they were the arsonary range or whatever you'd call it or the, uh, the shooting range. Meanwhile, West Ham is moving into a, sta- a huge stadium that they don't have to pay for. That's right. That's right. The people <laughs> paid for it. A very, a very American thing of them to move into a people paid for stadium. I mean, could you imagine if, if basketball teams were named the way soccer teams are? So what mm-hmm. would, like, uh, would the, I mean, I guess we sort of have, like, the 49ers are kind of in the yeah, realm. Yeah, the gold of, rush. In the gold yeah. rush realm. I mean, what else? 76ers. The 76ers. Oh, come on. That's, like, kind of a BS name, though. It's just after a year. <laughs> that is, like, the dumbest nickname in the Independence, league. man. Come on. I mean, I guess, I, I guess the Utah Jazz is, is pretty bad, too. Yeah, I mean, well, you have the you have the misnomers, the teams that move from places like the New Orleans Jazz to to, to uh, uh, Utah, and you have the Los Angeles Lakers, where there are absolutely no lakes that aren't man-made because they move from, uh, you know, Milwaukee or whatever, or Minneapolis, wherever Minnesota, they were. Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota, yeah. Um, 10,000 lakes there. It makes more sense. Um, I do think you should be changing team names when they move to a geographical region that makes no sense um so like, are you in favor of the pelicans name well there are tons of pelicans in, in new orleans They're right everywhere. that's the idea so i'm for that yeah yeah okay yeah all right um yeah. what if uh what if we had a soccer system in basketball yeah uh well i wouldn't let's have a professional no basketball team anymore <laughs> oh you mean relegation <laughs> okay yeah no or salary sal- cap like let's say let's say uh we had a world where like Giannis. Mm. was now like courted by the uh warriors mm-hmm. or whatever or the uh the spurs <laughs> or whatever uh, just just as an example like and he would play out behind the bench like you'd have these super teams and yep. then Milwaukee would just have to cycle through young prospects I mean I I guess I guess I'm not as against the financial component of of European soccer um as I used to be and part of that is because I think that there's like a I think it's similar to college basketball, actually, where like there's always going to be a defined hierarchy, but it's easier for for secondary teams to win now because there's such a, a dearth of talent around the world. And you see that specifically with soccer, which is played in the most countries by the most people. Um, but ultimately, like I think even though I just said that, then I thought for one split second, like the Champions League final, the best of the best final this year is between two teams from the same same city, the play yeah. in the same domestic league, and for the what is it, the second time in three or four years? It is or second time exactly. And the last time they played in the Champions League final, Atletico was up one nothing until the 88th minute and lost in mm-hmm. extra time um, to a couple Ronaldo goals. And 
Yeah. So, I, uh, like, what if what if Ben yeah. Simmons was like funneled into yeah. a team, like a pro team's youth system? What if there's no draft? Yeah. Ah, uh, that would that'd be, be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? That'd be bad. That'd be bad. I mean, you think that would be bad. Yeah, because then your best teams would all be it'd be New York, Los Angeles uh, would be your teams that would just continually get because it's it's a financial thing. I mean, I'm still nervous that Ben Simmons handlers are going to do everything they can to make it difficult for the Sixers to want to draft him. Ultimately, it's their decision, but they could be assholes about this. They could say, "No, we're not working out with you." No, you're not going to get that interview. I, no, no. I wouldn't Simmons. be surprised if they do. Because... I think they will. That's what that's what Porzingis's handlers did to the Sixers too. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that happens, but nice thing about this is I don't think these people want their clients to go to Boston either. I think, you know, uh, <laughs> you I think hate that, Boston. Well, I just think that <laughs> I'm not sure it's the best city for a, a, a young Australian to go to. Um, not that Philadelphia is, but I was going to say, <laughs> but I, but I'll say this, if there was no cap and guys could just like move up from college or whatever it may be into the NBA from whichever team wants them the most and can pay for them, I think you would see big cities completely be no Oklahoma City. Um, there, there would be no uh, trying to get San Antonio. Right. Uh, I mean, some know. people would argue that's not a bad thing. Yeah, uh, I guess. But I'm, I'm more willing to get Or maybe like of- San Antonio and Oklahoma City would be that team that the Southampton of the NBA, yeah. where they would just scoop up these. Because one of the things that happens in soccer, and then we can end this podcast, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is that the phenomenon that we have talked about with our teams, where our two our Southampton's best player last year and Swansea's best player in the middle of the year, mm-hmm. they go to these big teams and now they're stuck behind great talent, you know? And so they just kind of get lost. Like Boney is stuck behind Sergio Aguero and yep. all and the other others and Ineacho. There's yeah, there's yeah. Who's and 19 years old. Yeah, I mean, Schneiderlin's stuck in a horrible system, but he's also, so, you know, there's, I guess Schweinsteiger was terrible this year, but um, there are other, players on United that are just better than him whereas Mm -hmm. he can shine I mean this is going to happen to the guys that we sell this year the Sadio Mane's the Victor Wanyama this is going to happen this could happen to Sigurdsson Mm -hmm. if he's at Leicester I mean maybe he's behind Drinkwater and that's the thing though that's but that's that's the difference though is that Sigurdsson is the perfect player to move to an almost smaller club. Like Leicester is a, a slightly larger stadium okay. than the Liberty. But the idea, though, but is But the like, point is, is that yes, he's I going somewhere where... So the system sort of... There's parity that maybe yeah, is yeah, exists yeah. just because yeah. not everybody can shine at a big club. And Especially in basketball, that would be the case because there's only five players. Well, sure. But that can backfire, too. Look, Ben Simmons just went to LSU for college to be a big fish in a little pond. And it backfired That's in... That's true. Amazing way. Um, so uh, you know it can work both ways, and and I don't know, man. I I, I feel like if you're Simmons handlers and you can't see uh, the trees through the forest here, which is like, is there a better situation as a young guy who could be the playmaker to step into with young talent who can make plays around you than the Sixers? I no, mean, maybe the Lakers. Maybe I mean okay, sure, maybe the Lakers, but I would argue probably not. I mean, especially given that D'Angelo Russell and Simmons have a history of playing together. They played in high school. And wouldn't uh, that be awesome? Yeah, it'd be cool. But in, in high school back then, Simmons wanted to be point guard and couldn't play it. You know, so yeah. he played AAU point guard. He played point guard for Australia's team, but on his own high school team, Russell had the ball in his hands the whole time. So if he comes to Philadelphia, they will literally super glue the basketball into his hand. And so, then he'll see six defenders because nobody on oh. this team can make an outside shot. And he'll lob it up to our 15, seven foot two guys, and someone will dunk it. Uh, but, all right, um, is it safe to say before we go that your preference is Simmons or Ingram? Yeah, my preference is Simmons. Um, 
I, I like the idea of playmakers. I've watched a ton of Simmons film for two and a half years, three years now almost, um, since he kind of first busted onto the map um, at Hoop Summit. And I, I just love the way he plays, man. I think that his game, I think a lot of times um, the college game is bad for certain players because it's more truncated, it's, it's messy, it's a lot of fouls. There's a, a few guys on the court who just won't play professional basketball, and therefore there's, there's just a lack of awareness and understanding. And I think Simmons thinks and sees the game at a really, really, really high level, the court at a really high level, um, and that the things that people knock on him for, there's a side note to that that's good, actually. Yes, he's not a great shooter from the outside at all. He's a bad shooter from, from the perimeter. But he's ambidextrous 10 feet and in and has really good touch. Um, you know, th- those are things that are really good to have when you're a six foot ten point guard. Um, so I think that people are going to analyze him and scrutinize him. And he's been under a microscope far more than Ingram has for the past year and a half. Um, and Ingram got the protection of Coach K that Simmons just didn't get at LSU. And on top of that, Ingram played with some other NBA players. And, you know, and, and an like NBA Grayson point guard. going to be a star. Yes. Oh, he'll be, well, he'll be an NBA player. And he had the coach of Team USA helping him get all yeah, the free pubs yeah. you could get from every executive. Don't lose track of the fact that every executive in the NBA is in Coach K's corner. And that's a huge pipeline for Coach K to get these new guys, the top recruits in the country. Three of the top five are going to Duke next year mm-hmm. because you know he's, hi, I'm coach of Team USA. Would you like to get into the pipeline to play in the Olympics? Uh, um, you know, yeah, and so these I are mean, that's, big things. There's no question. And so, last, that, last thought said, yeah, is six, just that yeah. let's – be careful, NBA teams. Don't pick convention. Mm. You know, sometimes a guy who's unique is going to be a special player because yes. he's unique, not because yes. he's conventional. That's right. Be careful. Man. That's all I got. Uh, I appreciate the words of wisdom here. This was a long podcast, but a good one. We hadn't really been able to just you and I pod in a while, Mike. So, so really, I had a good time. And, and I think great. moving forward, we'll continue to kind of do these uh, – I'd love to get a little more into the culture. I'd love to get a little more into the other the world of the rest of sports. As this summer goes on, we're going to keep potting, and there's going to be things like Euro Cup and Copa America. So if you don't like soccer, sorry. And if you do, come <laughs> on and listen to us. Um, but with that but being in said, basketball, we've also got the summer league coming yes, up, which will yes. be, I'll be up for. Hopefully, we the can draft. do some stuff there. We got yep. the draft. Free agency, agency. is going to be lit this year. And yes. I, I'm not allowed. To, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that word, but no, I you just can. did. It <laughs> is. Very it's much gonna so. be nuts. So. Fire emojis everywhere, man. But it's <laughs> it's uh it's gonna be a fun time. Obviously, before all that happens, we have plenty of great playoff basketball to keep covering here on Limited Upside. You can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, is Limited Upside Podcast. Subscribe to us, rate us, review us, please. It helps us move up in those sports podcast rankings so you can find us more more easily. Uh, and then on top of that, I would like for you to Please, please, please find us on Twitter, limited underscore upside. That's at limited underscore upside, at Mike Prada SBN, at EpiBen right here. Keep listening to us, subscribe, rate, review, all the good things. Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah.